And now, for the show reflecting on classic radio, Hollywood 360, with your host, Carl Amari. He was like a god walking amongst mere mortals. He had a voice that could make a wolverine purr, and suits so fine they made Sinatra look like a hobo. Is this your place, Carl? Yeah, what do you think? Really? It's really awful. But I have a lot of things that are on order. You know, credit trouble. Pay more attention to your schoolwork and listen to the radio. You always listen to the radio. It's different. Our lives are ruined already. The Whistler. self-destruct in five seconds. Hello, everyone. I'm Carl Amari. This is Hollywood 360, the radio show that presents the best in classic radio. This hour on Hollywood 360, Dana Andrews stars as double agent Matt Savetic on I Was a Communist for the FBI from 1953. Then it's spring cleaning on the Phil Harris and Alice Faye show from 1949. With me to help present these radio classics is my co-host, Lisa Wolf. What's up, Lisa? Hi, Carl. Gosh, your dimples are huge. You know that? Yeah. Wow. Could be worse. Gosh, Mike, you didn't bring the spackle? No. Still? I mean, he's I've been asking look you at for these quite a while, giant Mike. Get dimples the whole time I'm doing this radio show? The whole show? time. Gosh, yep. huge dimples. Thank I might you. fall into them. Oh, I won't let you. Gosh. <laughs> Stay in your space over there. <laughs> All right, well, uh, it's time for I Was a Communist for the FBI. It was an interesting series. Dana Andrews played a double agent. He was working for our government. But the communists thought he was a communist here in the United States. So he would report back to our government about what the communists were doing in America. And a uh, very interesting series. There was a movie. There was a book about it. And uh, Matt Savatic was a real guy. I mean, it really happened. It's all based on true stories. So let's go back to May 10th, 1953 for The Crossed Heart. Here's Dana Andrews in part one of I Was a Communist for the FBI. I was a communist for the FBI. Starring Dana Andrews and an exciting tale of danger and espionage, I was a communist for the FBI. From the actual records and authentic experiences of Matt Savetic, how many of the incidents in this unusual story? Here is our star, Dana Andrews, as Matt Savetic, who for nine fantastic years lived as a communist for the FBI. The heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. You'll find that quotation in the Bible. I found the proof of it in the Communist Party. It wasn't hard to find at all, but believe me, it was brutally hard to accept. This story will illustrate what I mean. Now, here is Dana Andrews as Matt Sabatic, Undercover Man. This story from the confidential file is marked The Crossed Heart. A strange town miles from home. You know what it's like. You walk the streets looking for secrets or surprises. Study the crowds, the blur of bland, impersonal faces. Seeking someone you might know. Something familiar to give you that sense of belonging. That's how it usually is with strangers. But I was an unusual stranger. My visit to this town was sponsored by the Communist Party. I wasn't permitted to take my natural instincts with me. Every instinct, every action and reaction was planned and prescribed by my far-seeing red comrades. I was to report to this address, a private residence. I was to ask for a Mrs. Breen. Then I was to let nature, as authorized by the commies, take its course. How do you do? Uh, Good evening. I'm looking for Mrs. Breen. I'm Mrs. Breen. 
Won't you come in? You Come in, young man, come in. Or you'll catch your death out there. This little old lady, the shawl, the white hair, the rimless glasses? No. She was the type you write songs about, not the sort you associate with red. I followed her through the gloomy, age-heavy house into a room that had been set aside as a little office. Watching her gestures, so gentle, so prim and proper, I felt sure that somehow the commies, or I, had made a mistake. There we are. It's so much more comfortable in here, isn't it? Yes. Yes, it is. <sighs> now, let me see. Oh, I'm forever misplacing those applications. <laughs> here we are. Your name, please? Hmm? Oh, uh, Savetic. Matt Savetic. S or C? C. C-V-E-T-I-C. Uh, Mrs. Breen, I think... Your age? I think there's been some... Well, never mind. Let's just say uh, over 30, under 40. All right? All right. Now, I'd say you're, oh, about six feet tall. About that. Uh, now, any preference as to types? Types of what? Oh, silly girls, of course. Girls? Look, I... Now, 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 nothing to worry about. All information is strictly confidential. Our service is licensed by the state. What kind of service? Same as anywhere else. Once you subscribe, I give you three names and telephone numbers. Chosen according to your personal tastes and specifications. If you aren't satisfied, just call in and I'll give you three more. Fifteen dollars for a month's service. Twenty-five for three months. That's... The usual rate? No, now, don't start fretting. I've been expecting you, comrade. Forgive me for confusing you so. We just have to be so very careful, you know. I know. Now, I've arranged a date for you for tonight. A date? Well, that's why you're here, isn't it? Is it? I'm not the least bit sure why I'm here, comrade Breen. Uh-uh, uh-uh. Mrs. Breen, Mr. Svetik. We must be careful. Must, must, must. Okay. Well, tell me about my date. Her name is Clara Malone, a good client, a very important client to the uh, <clears throat> club. I see. She's a widow with quite a bit of money. Rather pretty, too. You'll call for her, take her to dinner, and most important, you'll collect an envelope from her. What's in it? Money. She uh, owes the club some money. See that you bring it to me immediately. Now, here's her name, her phone number, her address. Here you are. Vika? Vika, this is Red. Oh, good. I just joined the Lonely Hearts Club. What? A Lonely Hearts Club. Some kind of commie front. How come? Well, I don't know yet. I'll know more after tonight. What's tonight? My first date. Clara Malone, a wealthy widow, I understand. I called her a while ago and got no answer. Well, keep at it, Matt. If we can do anything from this office... Well, not yet. Just be there when I need you. on Clara Malone's line. It was getting late now. 
Mrs. Breen's place was closed, and I couldn't risk violating party orders. So I decided to go directly to the address Mrs. Breen had given me. Maybe by the time I got there, Clara Malone would have arrived, too. I could see a light in her apartment through the crack in the door. But either she was out or she... Hello? This might be Clara Malone. She didn't look like she needed a lonely hearts club to supply her with dates. But then you never know. She came straight for this apartment. Looking for someone? Oh, yes. I I was looking for Miss Malone. I'm Miss Malone. Clara Malone? Oh, no, I'm Judith. Clara's sister. Isn't she home yet? Well, she hasn't answered the door. That's funny. Is there anything I can do? <laughs> Not exactly. See, Clara and I have a date for tonight. Oh. Well, come on in, then. She should be home any minute. All right. She might have run down to the store. Or... <gasps> What's the matter? the door. She was dead. My first instincts told me to get out of there fast. But from the looks of things, her death was a suicide. And Judith wasted no time in calling the police. The police inspector, a tired, shabby little guy named Bychek, thought it was a suicide too, but he wasn't sure. And in his job, he had to be sure. Sorry we had to bring you two all the way down here, but you know how it is. Sit down, Miss Malone. Thank you, Inspector. Yeah, you too. Uh... What's your name again? Svetik. That's right. You were a friend of the deceased, Svetik? No, I never saw her before tonight. This is my first day in town. You you told me you had a date with Clara. Well, yes, it, it was a, a blind date. A mutual friend. How about it, Miss Malone? This guy a friend of your sister's? I don't know, Inspector. Don't you share that apartment with your sister? Yes, but Clara dated a lot of men I knew nothing about. Too many, I suppose. Too many? She's been terribly unhappy since her husband died. Lonely and unhappy. Any special reason for killing herself? Finances? No. She inherited a lot of money from her husband. She didn't care about money much. Inspector, do, do you think it wasn't suicide? I mean, do you think that Clara was... Oh, it looks like suicide, all right, Miss Malone. Probably is. But the coroner's report isn't in yet. There are a few funny angles to this mess. But, but who? Who would want to, to hurt Clara? She would... She was a lonely widow. She had money. She dated a lot of strange guys. Too many, you said. Like Svetik here. Somehow he knew her phone number and address, but he didn't know her. Now, just a minute, Inspector. I'm I... a cop, Svetik. My job don't give me much time to trust people. Listen, I... Never I'm mind, a... skip it. In go, both of you. Sorry for all the trouble, Miss Malone. It's all right, Inspector. I won't heckle you unless it's necessary. Thank you. Say, uh, Svetik. What? You'd better stay around town a while. If the coroner comes in with any surprise decisions, we'll want you for questioning. I couldn't leave town anyway. I was under orders from the Reds. But I couldn't let the police know that. 
I had some vital questions to put to sweet old Mrs. Breen, like how did the Reds figure in Clara's death? If it was murder, was I to be the patsy for the party? But she wasn't to be found. Her house was dark, locked up. I waited around a while. No use. I headed for my hotel to get some sleep. How did you get in here? Now, please don't be angry with me. I told the room clerk I was your mother, and I wanted to surprise you. Well, you did. You're full of surprises. I just didn't want you to be burdened too long with that envelope. Temptation, you know. What envelope? Well, the envelope you collected from Clara. She's dead, Mrs. Breen. Cold stone dead. What are you talking about? You know full well what I'm talking about. Clara Malone was dead when I got to her apartment. It looks like suicide, but it may be murder. Murder? I... Skip the performance, Mrs. Breen, and get this straight. If that phone rings, it'll be the police. They'll it's want... It's been ringing all evening. Oh? It will probably ring again. Well, if it does, it's because the cops have a good reason to suspect me of killing Clara Malone. I'll have to tell them about you and your lonely hearts club. No, Comrade Svetik. You mustn't do that. No? Watch. The party can't afford to be involved in that sort of thing. If you did that, we'd see that you... The phone, Comrade Svetik. Well, aren't you going to answer it? Look, if it's the police, I'm, I'm going to... Just remember, young man. The police operate according to bourgeois concepts of justice. The party has its own concepts. Yeah, yeah, I know. You'd better answer the phone. Answer it, comrade, right now. Hello? Telephone can be an instrument of torture, and right now, I was its victim. The receiver was at my ear. I'd spoken a greeting into the mouthpiece. Then there was a moment's silence. Bitter, excruciating silence. A glance at Mrs. Breen, standing at my elbow, told me that a murder charge would be delightful compared to what the commies would do to me if I told the truth to the police. Hello, Svetik? Yes? Inspector Bychek at police headquarters. I've been trying to get you all evening. What do you want? You? Better get down here for some more questioning. Now? Well, it's, it's pretty late, I... Now? You got the coroner's report? Yeah. You coming down here, or should I send a car up for you? Well, I'll be down. I was saying, comrade, the party has its own way of treating those who violate its confidence. You mean they let me be charged with a murder I didn't commit? What can they do, comrade? After all, what's more important, the life of one young man or the life of the proletariat revolt? Okay, come in, Svetik. Sit down. No, no, uh, over here. Ah, you look nervous. Uh, it's late, Inspector, and I'm tired. Me too. We got the coroner's report on Clara Malone. He's satisfied that it's suicide. Well, then, then what do you want? I'm not satisfied. Svetik, why'd you come to this city? Business? What business? 
Just business. Business with Clara Malone? Oh, no, that was just a date. Yeah, arranged by a mutual friend. A business associate? All right. Here, look. The report from Clara Malone's bank. She inherited $300,000 when her husband died. Look what's left. She's practically broke. Where did it go? Wherever it went, it went during the last year or so. Somebody was bleeding this dame dry, Swedek. She has a couple of kids away at an exclusive private school, but... She has? You didn't know that? No. Swedek, I warn you, either you tell us what you know or... Don't threaten me, Inspector. Well, then talk, you idiot. I'm trying to give you a break. Clara Malone was the victim of a shakedown, Swedek. Whoever's responsible is just as responsible for a suicide, directly or indirectly. In spite of you, I intend to find out who and why and how. Well, I wish I could help, Inspector. Yeah, I'll bet. Okay, Svetik, get out. Get out of here. Secretly, I hoped Inspector Bicek would fulfill his threat. I left police headquarters praying silently that he'd be able to pin his suspicions on Mrs. Breen and the commies. But I couldn't help him. I'm sure I might have been noble and named names, but nobility comes hard when you know the commie technique for vengeance. The streets of this strange city were even stranger now. They were empty, silent, wet with that pre-dawn mist. Ready. What? In here, hurry. Sorry, pal, I'm going the other way. In the car, Sweaty. Get in. Hey, what's a big idea? Let go of that. Get in, I said. George, any trouble? No trouble, Comrade Breen. You keep mighty odd hours for a woman of your age, Mrs. Breen. I'm dedicated to my work. It makes a difference. That's all for now, George. Okay. Are you all right, Comrade Svetik? No. I don't like being shoved around by that, that goon boy of yours. Please, Comrade Svetik. I'd like to know what you told the police. Nothing. Oh, now, comrade. If I did tell them anything about you or this club, don't you think you'd know by now? Mm, well, you're right, of course. Do the police know anything about us? Just hunches. The coroner called Clara Malone's death a suicide. But the inspector thinks there's blackmail involved. Where did he learn that? Well, he's not a fool, you know. He checked Clara's bank account and learned that she went through a lot of money in a big hurry. I wonder how much that sister of hers knows. Not too much from what I could see. We've got to be sure, comrade. We've got to be sure. Well, she... Uh, would you mind finding out for me, please? What? Well, you've met Judith. You've talked with her. Find out what she knows about the club, the blackmail, anything. If she knows more than she should, then... Uh, then what? We'll see. We'll see. Your job now is to find out what she knows before she tells the police. The commie web was being spun again. This time, the victim was to be Judith Malone. I had to keep her free of that web somehow. But I had to keep myself clear of the web, too. Maybe there was a way, some way, to turn the web against the spinner. To strangle the commies with their own vicious weapon. It was worth a try. One good try. Beaker? Beaker, this is Red. Hi, what's up? I need some bugs and lines, fast. Small mics, okay. They don't know you at the local field office, do they? No. All right, I'll call them from here. 
Is there a grocery store near you? Any grocery store? Yeah, uh, Rogers Market down the street. There'll be a package for you there in an hour. What name do you want to use? Oh, Matthews. Okay. Pick up your groceries in an hour, Mr. Matthews. That's the first portion of I Was a Communist for the FBI. More after these words. More Hollywood 360 after these important messages. Hi, Lisa Wolf here. During the month of July, log on to ClassicRadioStore.com and digitally download Classic Radio Spotlight's Frank Sinatra Volume 1, featuring 14 exciting radio shows starring Frank Sinatra. Regularly priced at $19.99, but it's yours for half price, only $9.99, via digital download this month only. Also on sale during July is Murder at Midnight Volume 1, featuring 12 terrifying episodes. Regularly priced at $19.99, it's yours for half price, only $9.99, via digital download this month only. Visit ClassicRadioStore.com and digitally download Classic Radio Spotlight's Frank Sinatra Volume 1 and Murder at Midnight Volume 1 at 50% off their regular price. In August, these two collections will go back to full price, so don't miss them while they're on sale during July. Log on to ClassicRadioStore.com to order. And while you're there, download an episode of Suspense starring Cary Grant absolutely free as our gift to you. That's ClassicRadioStore.com. And now back to Hollywood 360 with Carl Amari. Now back to I Was a Communist for the FBI. And my groceries were waiting for me in an hour. The package was camouflaged pretty well, but I knew the equipment I needed was there. Coils of wire, small microphones, earphones, the works. My next step was to call Mrs. Breen and tell some whoppers. You mean she knows the whole story? Yeah, Clara told her everything. But Judith has a pretty sensible attitude about it. Has she told the police yet? Oh, she's more sensible than that. There's one simple way to keep Judith quiet. Oh, don't be foolish. We can't use violence now. It would just create more suspicion. Violence, no. Terms, yes. Did she tell you that? She hinted at it pretty strongly. You'd better phone her, make an appointment, make her an offer. Shall I visit her place? No, cops all over the neighborhood. Tell her you realize that silence is golden. Tell her you have some important information about her sister. That should do it, I hope. I checked in at Mrs. Breen's place later and learned that she'd made an appointment with Judith Malone for 8.30 that night. About 6 o'clock, Mrs. Breen decided to go out for a bite to eat. Want to join me, Comrade Svitik? Uh, no, thanks. I, I'll stay here. Judith may change her mind. Can't take any chances. Well, you're probably right. Incidentally, you'll be here tonight when I see her, won't you? You don't want me here. Too many of us might overemphasize the importance, make her boost the price even more. All right. And remember, she's quite a little actress. She'll play the innocent role right up to the hilt, but don't let her fool you. Don't worry, young man. I'll be back soon. Take your time. I've nothing to do anyway. There was plenty to do, of course. As soon as Mrs. Breen was gone, I unwrapped my groceries. I'd hidden in the shrubs outside the house. As quickly as possible, I wired her office for sound. One tiny microphone under the rug near her desk, another near the big armchair. I ran the wires up behind the draperies, out the windows, and into the shrubs, where the miniature recording setup would be located. Back in the little office, I was about to test the microphones when... Sverick, what, what where's is... Mrs. Breen? Well, she, she went out for something to eat. Why? That Malone tame is here. Now? I thought 8.30 was... Well, she says she was nervous. Couldn't wait. 
I better get Comrade Brain. Oh, no, no, I'll go. I know where she's eating. Uh, have you been here in the house all this time? Sure. Where'd you think I'd be? Why? Nothing, just... Just curious, that's all. I went out the back door to avoid Judith. There was no chance to test the equipment now. No chance for anything but cold, naked luck. When Mrs. Breen went inside to meet Judith, I ducked behind the shrubbery, switched on the recorder, adjusted the earphone, and prayed. Oh, come on, come on, pick it up. Pick it up. Come on, please. Pick it up. Please, please. About time we got straight to the point, Miss Malone. I'm willing to pay any reasonable price for your silence. Silence? What have I to be silent about? Oh, let's stop playing possum, young lady. We'll go to any lengths to stop you from telling the police what you know. We prefer to do business on a purely financial basis. So here are my terms. And I expect you to accept them. Did you get a decent recording of it, Matt? We have all we need to hang the blackmail charge on Mrs. Breen and the local commie speaker. Good. I'll let the police know it was an FBI operation. That our file on Mrs. Breen indicated that kind of checkup. Okay. That'll clear me with the party. Be sure the local papers get the same story. And I'll phone Inspector Bycheck to tell him to expect the record. He has it already. So soon? I had it delivered to him direct. But you'd better call and explain what it's all about. I'll do it right now. See you soon, Matt. Yeah, Beaker. Soon. Later, I stood in the shadows across the street from Mrs. Breen's house. A police car was parked at the curb. One by one, I saw the lights in the house blink out. Then the door opened, and Inspector Bycheck came out with Judith, Mrs. Breen, and the red goon, George. When the car drove away, the street became a dark ribbon of silence, stretched across the strange city. Again, walking across town, I felt the hollow distinction that only a stranger can feel. But I'd be a stranger in any city, anywhere. I had to be. It was my job. I had to walk alone. This is Dana Andrews, friends. In this story, as in all others, names, dates, and places are fictitious to protect innocent persons. Next week, another fantastic adventure. Join us, won't you? That's I Was a Communist for the FBI, starring Dana Andrews with a crossed heart from May 10, 1953. In just a minute, we'll hear part one of the Phil Harris and Alice Faye show. But I want to remind all of our listeners about our podcast. How do they do that, Lisa? Oh, they go to our website at Hollywood360radio.com. And uh, we post the podcast one week after the original broadcast. We'd like to have you listen to the show live. If you can't make it, check out the next week on our website. Yeah, and you know what? A lot of our stations... Don't carry the full four right. hours of our show. I don't know so, why they wouldn't. I don't know. It's a it's an enigma. <laughs> it doesn't make any sense to me. <laughs> it's an enigma to me why they wouldn't want to carry the full four yeah. hours, but some don't. Right. And we're very happy to have our stations carrying two hours That's or whatever sure. it is. So uh, you would don't want to miss the full four hours. So I wouldn't want check to. it out on our website. 
and our podcast at Hollywood360radio.com. There's also like thousands of pictures of Lisa there, too. Well, that way you can check out the deep dimples. Yeah, yeah. check it out. Check out uh, Lisa in uh, her, all her glory. All right, so it's time now for the Phil Harris and Alice Faye Show. This is called Spring House Cleaning from May 1st, 1949, Part 1 of Phil Harris and Alice Faye. Good health to all from Rexall. Yes, it's Sunday. Time for the Bill Harris Alice Faye Show. Presented by the makers of Rexall Drug Products and 10,000 independent Rexall Family Druggists. And now your Rexall Family Druggist brings you the Bill Harris Alice Faye Show. Written by Ray Singer and Dick Chevrolet. With Elliot Lewis, Walter Tetley, Robert North, Janine Roos, and Whitfield. Walter Sharp and his music, yours truly, Bill Foreman. And starring Alice Faye and Bill Harris. For the past few days, the Harris home has been under the annual siege of spring cleaning. Over Alice's protests, Phil has insisted on helping her. And as we look in, he is about to hang a picture over the fireplace. Phil, I wish you'd let me do that. You're not very handsome. Please. (laughs) Just hold the chair steady while I get up. There. Now, where do you want this nail? Right over the fireplace. And Phil... Please be careful. Honey, I know how to hammer a nail. (laughs) I hit my thumb. (laughs) Phil, how can you be so clumsy? Stop laughing and look for my thumb. (laughs) It must be on the floor someplace. Oh, it's still on your hand. Does it hurt much? Oh, honey, you'll never know how much I'm suffering. Oh, look at that little thumb. Oh, honey, I won't be able to use this finger. Oh, gee, I'm going to have to call off today's band rehearsal. Why? This is the thumb I deal the cards with. (laughs) Oh, honey, this pain is excruciating. Ooh, wait till I come down off this chair and show you. Bill, look out. You caught your foot in the... Ooh. Oh, this time I really did it. Oh, for goodness sakes. What did you hurt now? What I sit on when I deal the cards with a thumb I ain't got. (laughs) Oh, honey, I can't get up. Are you hurt, Daddy? Am I hurt? Here I lie mortally wounded, and she asks me if I'm hurt. Oh, that poor little thumbsy wumsy. I'm afraid to look at it. Phyllis, you look at it and tell me how it is. It's only a scratch, Daddy. It's just bleeding a little. Bleeding? I knew it. I knew it. Oh, Alice, is it bleeding much? Oh, yes. There must be at least three or four drops gushing out. (laughs) Girls, this is too gory for you. You'd better leave the room. Let them stay. I may need them for a transfusion. (laughs) Phil, will you please cut it out? You're all right. Look, it stopped bleeding. It stopped? Oh, no. Now I ran out of blood. (laughs) You just lie there and let it congeal. I'll put up the nail myself. No, you don't. I started this, and as weak as I am, I'll finish it. Pass me the hammer. (laughs) Uh Uh-oh, here we go again. Phil, I wish you wouldn't. You'll only ruin your thumb completely. I'll show you I can do it right. Now watch this. Oh, no. Oh, Oh, Alice, I must have hit my hand. Look at my bones. They're falling all over the floor. That's plaster. 
<laughs> you knocked a hole in the wall. All right, honey, don't get upset. We can cover the hole up with something. With what? Daddy has a moose head. <laughs> Alice, that's no way to talk about your father. He didn't mean it. <laughs> Look, kids, you better run along. Look, Alice... I got some plaster in the garage. I'll get it. No, 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 no. You stay right where you are. I'll get someone else to do it. Alice, I am capable of plastering up a hole in the wall. You don't let me do nothing around here. You think I'm a jerk, don't you? No, I don't. Yes, you do. Well, I don't. Well, Don't uh... give up, Philip. I'm on your side. (laughs) (laughs) I better cover up that hole in the wall fast. Things are starting to come out of it. How did you get that hole in your wall? Oh, Phil was hanging a picture and he missed the nail. Oh, Philip, how stupid can you be? I suppose you could do better, poodles. (laughs) I'll show you. There's nothing to driving a nail into the wall. It's just a question of using my head. Oh, this I'm going to want to (laughs) see. Got to see this. Look, I'll hold the nail. You put your head down and get a run and start. That flat top of yours you can't miss. Now, never mind, fellas. I don't want any more nail holes in the wall. All I need is a plasterer. Why, Alice, I can plaster the hole for you. I'm very handy, you know. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I'm always fixing little things around the house. Well, bless your nimble little mm-hmm finger. <laughs> Captain Plaster, Alice, I'll get started. Oh, thanks, Willie. You'll find some out in the garage. Mm, I'll go get it. Uh, Philip, if you care to, you may watch me. Uh, you might learn something you know. <laughs> I gotta do something about that boy. <laughs> Say, Alice, when he plasters that hole up, couldn't he work from the inside of the wall? Still. <laughs> Present the fact that Willie's more handy than you. Well, it's a fine state of affairs when a woman thinks more of her brother than she does of her husband. Oh, Phil, don't be silly. I don't... Please. (laughs) Say no more. Don't try to make up to me. To think I've given her the best years of my life. (laughs) And years don't come no better than that. I shall sleep at the club tonight. (laughs) But I... All right, go sleep at your club. That I will. Goodbye. You want me, you'll find me at... Wait a minute, I don't belong to no club. (laughs) Alice. What now? Can I borrow your membership card to the YWCA? (laughs) Don't just stand there, Phil. If you're going, go. (laughs) Oh, are you still here? I thought you were leaving. Ah, I changed my mind, honey. Hey, gee, Alice, I'm I'm sorry I lost my temper. Let's, uh, let's kiss and make up. I don't want to. (laughs) Ah. Ah, come here, you beautiful dove, you... How could two pretty things like us stay mad at each other? (laughs) 
Hey, fuck her up, baby, and I'll slip you that hair is special. Hey, why don't somebody answer the door for crying out loud? Hey, Lumpert. Hey, break it up. Oh, oh, I didn't hear you come in, Frankie. What brought on this revolting exhibition? <laughs> the wall, and he's trying to make up to me, but it isn't working. Oh. Now, look, Bill, I have to go over to Mother's for a few minutes, and while I'm gone, I want you to clean up that mess you made around the fireplace. Yes, dear. And while you're at it, clean out the inside of the fireplace, too. Yes, dear. Don't forget, I just had the rug shampooed, so don't get any dirt on it. No, dear. (laughs) That's telling her, dear. Oh, well, I guess I'm going to have to get down on my hands and knees and clean this mess up. You know, Curly, I hate to see you in this condition. What condition? Abject, beaten, pathetic, sniveling. In short, a married man. I told you you shouldn't have gotten married. There's nothing wrong with being married once you get over the first shock. You know, Remley, you ought to get married. I wouldn't like it. Don't knock it until you tried it. <laughs> Once you get used to marriage, you can't do it without. That's the trouble. It's habit for me. <laughs> I know, but it's better than biting your nails. <laughs> well, look, I got to get inside the fireplace and clear out this... Uh-oh. What's the matter now? Hey, Remley, I just looked up this chimney. Mmm. Man, it's thick with soot. Yeah? Should be cleaned out. You know somebody... Hey, if I were to do it, Alice wouldn't be mad at me. I'll do it. And Remley, I'm going to allow you to help me. (laughs) Oh, thank you, Maestro, for this golden opportunity. (laughs) Just think, a chance to clean out a dirty chimney. (laughs) Francis, you sound like you don't want to help me. Your hearing is excellent. Look, Remley, will you stop? It'll be a cinch. Now, come on. I'll get a long-handled broom. We'll go up on the roof and start cleaning out the chimney. Come on. Hey, Frankie. This is tough work. Oh, you said it. Must be an easier way than cleaning the stuff out with a broom. Hey, I got an idea, Curly. If you dropped a heavy object down the chimney, it would scrape the soot off the sides as it went down. Yeah, but... Where can I find a heavy object that would fit into the... <laughs> into the... Stop measuring me. I wouldn't fit. Yeah. You know, I guess we need a skinny object to drop Helen, down there. what are you doing up on the roof? <laughs> uh, Remley, I hear a skinny object calling. <laughs> Do, uh... You think he'd fit? Let's try him for size. <laughs> okay. Hey, Willie, would you mind coming up here for a fitting? <laughs> hey, he might be a little too skinny. He may not hit all four sides as he goes down. <laughs> well, what? We can always drop him a few times. True. <laughs> hey, this is going to be fun, Remley. I get it. No. What? No, no. Remley, we can't make a swab out of Willie. What did you fellows call me for? Oh, oh, look, uh, William, we're trying to clean this chimney for Alice, and, and well, uh, we don't know how to go about it. Well, let me look down and see. 
Oh, Philip, it's easy. There's a ledge halfway down. All you have to do is get down there, stand on the ledge, and clean it. Well, but it's impossible to get down to that ledge, Willie. Oh, it is not. I'll show you. Now, if you and Francis will take hold of my arms and lower me, I'll just prove it can be done. Curly, he's asking for it. <laughs> In that case, who are we to turn him down? Come on, come on, come on, lower me. Okay, hey, Remley. Yeah? Now, you grab his right arm, I'll take his left. Right. Got it? Mm-hmm. Now, just lower him gently. All right. That's it. Just easy. Now, you see, there, there's really nothing to it. Now, I can't quite reach the ledge. You'll have to let me down just a little lower. <laughs> he wants to go lower. Lower, huh? Lower. Mm-hmm. Well, let's lower him. <clears throat> right. One, two, three, let go. Help! Is that low enough, Willie? You dropped me. <laughs> Hey, Curly, he scraped off one side pretty good. Yeah. About <laughs> three more drops ought to do the job, huh? Fellows, get me out of here. My coat is caught on something. Now, how do you like that? He only went halfway down of all the clumsy guys. Yeah. I can't stand people who don't finish what they start. Well, it didn't work, Remley, but it taught me a lesson. Yeah? You can't clean the chimney with your brother-in-law. <laughs> I'm tired of cleaning chimneys anyway. Let's go to the ball game. Yeah, they got a doubleheader today. Wait, how about Willie? He don't like baseball. <laughs> Philip, if you don't get me out of here immediately, I'll tell Alice. All right, all right, I'll get you out. Come on, Remley, let's go down and see if we can't pull him out from the fireplace. All right. You know, Curly, I feel sorry for poor Willie. Wish I had my guitar. I'd play him a little tune to keep his morale up. <laughs> oh, for heaven's sake. Hey, maybe I could sing to him. Yeah, oh, sing. Oh, dear. He's carrying on, ain't he? Yeah. <laughs> That's the first half of the Phil Harris and Alice Faye show from May 1st, 1949. More of Hollywood 360 after these words. More Hollywood 360 after these important messages. Hi, Lisa Wolf here. During the month of July, log on to ClassicRadioStore.com and digitally download Classic Radio Spotlight's Frank Sinatra Volume 1, featuring 14 exciting radio shows starring Frank Sinatra. Regularly priced at $19.99, but it's yours for half price, only $9.99, via digital download this month only. Also on sale during July is Murder at Midnight Volume 1, featuring 12 terrifying episodes. Regularly Priced at $19.99, it's yours for half price, only $9.99, via digital download this month only. Visit ClassicRadioStore.com and digitally download Classic Radio Spotlight's Frank Sinatra Volume 1 and Murder at Midnight Volume 1 at 50% off their regular price. In August, these two collections will go back to full price, so don't miss them while they're on sale during July. Log on to ClassicRadioStore.com to order. And while you're there, download an episode of Suspense starring Cary Grant absolutely free free is our gift to you. That's ClassicRadioStore.com. And now back to Hollywood 360 with Carl Amari. Well, next time it's the conclusion to the Phil Harris and Alice Faye show. Then we'll tune in to part seven of our ten-part adventures by Morse with the Cobra King Strikes Back. That's next time here on Hollywood 360. We'll see you then. <laughs> 